It's time for Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And here are your hosts, Inside Towers Managing Editor, Jim Fryer, and Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief, Leslie Stimson. Well, welcome, Claude, to the Inside Towers podcast. Um, You're the president and CEO of the Wireless Internet Service Providers Association. What are WISPs? So that's a that's a very good question to start with, and uh, thanks again for having me, Leslie. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here and to uh, to talk to the Inside Towers audience about Wisps and and Wispa. So, uh, Wisp in you know the very acronym laden world of telecommunications is a, a wireless internet service provider, uh, and it's a it's a shorthand basically for fixed wireless uh, operators. Now, there are a lot more folks uh, getting into the fixed wireless game. You've seen announcements from a lot of big players talking about how they're going to do a fixed wireless to the home. But traditionally, a WISP has been a, a small business that is using fixed wireless technology to uh, to plug a connectivity gap. So a lot of our members are are small businesses. Uh, the majority are about 500 subscribers or, or fewer uh, who got their start uh, out of a you know frustration over the lack of good connectivity in their community. So they would either go into credit card debt, put their life savings on the line uh, in order to be able to buy this uh, fixed wireless gear, which they would then you know, put up on a, a local water tower or, or a grain leg in order to beam connectivity uh, out across the area. Uh, and that's, that's basically what a, what a WISP is. Well, thank you for that explanation. And then your organization, you've been there for, oh, a little over a year now. How do you feel about how you're accomplishing the goals that you had set for the organization? Yeah, yeah, it's it's been it's been a little bit of a wild ride. It's been it's been fun. I came on with Wispa in about March of of last year, with with a mandate from our, our board of directors to uh, to do a lot of things to to, to um, professionalize the the organization, uh, but primarily to to really improve our our visibility. And presence, uh, particularly in in Washington D.C. Uh, and uh, and nationwide. Uh, so uh, you know, there's there's still a long way to go. We're we're still a pretty you know small fish uh, in, in the big telecom pond, but you know we we'd like to kind of think we're much like our, our members who are are uh, the the Davids versus some of the bigger uh, Goliaths in the in the industry. Uh, our, our association is, is kind of that, uh, that way as well. I think you're doing a great job on visibility. You're everywhere. You're involved. <laughs> One of the... Well, that's the goal. That's the goal. <laughs> One of the big um, issues that you're involved with is the, well, the Citizens Broadband Radio Service. They, the Alliance had a, yeah. big, a big announcement this week. Um, with the FCC and the initial commercial deployment period starting. Um, what, and I realize 
you know, your members are excited about that. Why is the 3.5 gigahertz band important to your members? Sure. Uh, so th the band uh, is is pretty important primarily because a lot of our members are already deployed in that band. So uh, pre-CBRS from 3.65 to 3.7 gigahertz, uh, the FCC had a regime for uh, non-exclusive nationwide licenses that providers could apply for. So a little bit better than uh, pure unlicensed spectrum. Uh, you had to jump through a couple hoops in order to be able to use it. But still that lower cost spectrum that really appeals to uh, providers who are are just getting into the market, who are small, who who don't necessarily... Uh, ha have the resources or business model to uh, bid in FCC auctions on, on giant license areas of spectrum that are uh, you know, kind of designed for bigger mobile providers. Uh, so they were, one, already deployed in that band. Um, and then two, uh, you know, there's a lot of interest, you know, generally in, in more spectrum. Um, but our members were very interested in this model of of dynamic sharing uh, and the ability to utilize uh, spectrum in a much more uh, efficient manner than than we've seen in the past. And, and, and what I mean by that is in rural areas where a lot of our members are are located, uh, there's a lot of licensed spectrum out there, uh, but not a lot of licensed spectrum that's actually being fully utilized by the license holders. So, you know, from this perspective of a small startup business who is, uh, you know, scrounging for resources, uh, scrounging for the, the critical infrastructure that they need to actually build out their business, uh, which is spectrum access, uh, it, it's pretty frustrating to see this resource that's out there that they're uh, effectively legally barred from using, uh, but but is effectively lying fallow and, and, and could be put to great use to, to bring better broadband to uh, areas of the country that, that don't have good service today, but their, their hands are tied. Uh, and so with CBRS, we see this uh, dynamic sharing model where you, you there yes there is uh, again like the the legacy um, non-exclusive licenses in the 3.65 band uh, in in CBRS you have uh, priority access licenses but uh, you, you also have uh, generally authorized access spectrum uh, and and the, the interesting twist is that if you're not using a priority access license in an area. So, you know, say uh, a larger provider uh, purchases a priority access license and it, it decides for whatever reason not to build in a particular area of a country, the country that uh, a WISP is located in. Uh, that WISP has access to that spectrum uh, that if, if we're using the legacy model of deployment, uh, they wouldn't have access to uh, today. So that's that's a feature that's very exciting to our members. We were we were very engaged on the 
issue of, of license sizes uh, for those priority access licenses, trying to ensure that those uh, fit the business model of smaller players. And it's a band that we're continuing to be uh, very interested in from the perspective of, of smaller providers and of rural broadband. When do you think some of your members might actually deploy on that band? Well, so uh, now, really, uh, a number of our members are engaged in the initial commercial deployments with uh, that, that got kicked off this past week. Um, many more are, are getting ready to go for uh, commercial deployment. One of the, the, the barriers uh, is there were a couple technical issues that needed to be uh, ironed out before the you know higher power uh, fixed wireless gear could be certified by the FCC. So there's there's still a little bit of a dearth of uh, certified equipment in the market, mm-hmm. which is making it a little bit hard for uh, members of ours who are trying to transition from uh, the legacy equipment that could work under the uh, the legacy licenses to the the new CBRS uh, structure, but. Uh, a, a number of our folks are uh, participating in initial commercial deployment and, and judging from the interest that I'm seeing uh, from the rest of our members, a lot more will be interested once uh, the full full band ends up being deployed. Another big spectrum issue your association is involved in is C-band, the whole yes. C-band debate. Yeah, as the FCC is trying to repurpose some of the 500 megahertz of that band, and where do your members stand on the C-band debate? So uh, we kind of have to claim a little bit of responsibility for this whole C-band debate. It, it was actually WISPA and uh, and a broad coalition uh, called the Broadband Access Coalition that identified this band in 2017 as, as being uh, underutilized from a uh, terrestrial perspective. So. Uh, you, you had these satellite earth stations and you had a few, uh, you know, point to point links in, in the band. And uh, so we had this uh, idea that, you know, if you if you map out all of these earth stations across the United States, uh, it, the United States kind of looks like a like a big uh, piece of Swiss cheese. And there's a lot of. Uh, spectrum cheese that if you adequately protect the earth stations from harmful interference that could be used for for fixed wireless service and and so much of it uh, that you could get uh, rural gigabit connectivity to uh, a lot of places that that have uh, subpar connectivity today so we asked the FCC to make a pretty simple rule change and uh, and simply allow uh, coordinated point-to-multipoint service uh, in the band terrestrially in addition to the point-to-point service. Uh, the, the debate has has gone uh, in a lot of different directions since then. It's one of these few uh, spectrum issues where pretty much uh, everybody who's interested in spectrum is, is interested in, in this particular proceeding. But uh, from our perspective, our, our proposal is a it's a bolt on to to any uh, other um, proposal in, in terms of you know 
in terms of what gets cleared, right? So a lot of other uh, proposals are, are focused on, again, kind of that legacy spectrum model of uh, clearing and exclusive licensing. Um, you know, the, the purpose stated is for, uh, for 5G uh, deployments. So uh, from our perspective and, and what we've told the FCC most recently is we, you know, we're fine with, uh, with clearing 200 megahertz for, uh, for 5G, auctioning it off uh, using that, that legacy model again. But with that remaining uh, 300 megahertz that continues to get used by the, uh, by the earth stations and, and uh, satellite companies and their customers, if you enable sharing, you're able to cover 80 million Americans uh, with spectrum that could allow them to have, you know, gigabit service to the home today, which uh, very few, if any, have right now. And it could be done in a relatively short period of time, right? So one of the benefits of, of wireless and, and fixed wireless in particular is it's very fast to deploy and the this band is immediately ad adjacent to uh, the CBRS band and, and very close to the five gigahertz on license band. So uh, equipment doesn't need a whole lot of modification in order to be able to be used for this band. So you could, with a simple rule change from uh, allowing coordinated point-to-point -to, -point to coordinated point-to-multipoint, you could have a, a boom in... Uh, rural broadband and, uh, you know, connect many more Americans with high-speed uh, connectivity and on terms that are accessible to those providers who are already in rural America and, and trying to provide that kind of connectivity to their customers. So from our perspective, that's uh, it, it's an easy bolt-on to whatever the FCC ultimately decides to clear and depending how much spectrum is remains for the, the satellite or station use uh, kind of determines how how much um, rural broadband uh, connectivity and speed you're going to get out of it yeah the uh, the c-band alliance made up of the satellite companies that service uh, the broadcasters have proposed um, they could give up 200 megahertz and um, you know have an auction and I and um, the broadcasters just want to make sure that the satellite companies have enough redundancy so if one satellite channel is unavailable for some reason they could immediately switch to another satellite channel to get their programming or to air something live and it it sounds like um, they could still do that using filters and um, they'd still be able to, you know, conduct their business, so that that would work. Um, but yeah, there's a whole discussion going on about how to have the auction, who to conduct it, all that, and so hopefully the FCC will work that out fairly quickly. Um, you came, was there any other issue near and dear to your association that, that we should talk about? Oh my goodness! What? Uh, <laughs> that's quite an opening. I could I could talk about a lot of different things there. So I, I think one of the issues that we tend to be focused on, I, again, very much from 
uh, a, a rural perspective is our, our subsidies, right? So oh. uh, the USDA has a, a number of programs that are that are out there uh, right now. Uh, the FCC is kicking has kicked off a rulemaking uh, for uh, the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund, which is uh, going to be a, a twenty billion dollar fund that is uh, you know targeted at, at rural broadband deployment. So, uh, you know, one, we're very focused on, on trying to make sure that our, our members are who, who are providing uh, high-speed high broadband in, in parts of the country that uh, are, are really hard to serve and, and in many cases are doing so without any government subsidies whatsoever, don't find themselves uh, competing with government capital, uh, especially when they're already operating in a, in a low margin uh, business environment. So trying to ensure that we don't have subsidized overbuilding, but also, you know, kind of given that fixed wireless uh, technology has, has really only become, you know, sexy as of the, the past couple of years. Uh, there, we find that there's a lot of folks who who still don't really understand the the promise of the technology and how much of an impact it, it can make in particularly in rural areas because of the um, the speed to deploy and the the low capital cost to deploy. So, from our perspective, just making sure that that small providers uh, and fixed wireless technology is not unduly prejudiced in, in any sort of funding decisions uh, that uh, that our, our smaller providers ha- have an ability both to um, to participate if, if they want to and and to uh, to not participate if they want to but just really ensure that uh, you know cost effectiveness to the government and uh, technology neutrality are, are watchwords for for any future subsidy program. Okay. Um, I had one last question. Um, you came to WISPA from the office of former Commissioner Mignon Clyburn. Yes. Yeah. So, anything from that experience you'd like to talk about? Sure. Yeah. I. It, uh, it was it was quite a uh, a privilege to to get to work uh, at the FCC. Uh, I, I started there uh, right out of law school and spent almost a, a decade of my uh, career there with the uh, the committed public servants who 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 spend so much time trying to figure out these uh, intractable policy problems for for the good of of the country uh, and you know I, I still have uh, many many friends there who uh, who continue to work hard on on these problems and. Um, but you know, it, it really gave me an, an appreciation for uh, how difficult it is to to resolve some of these issues. I, I mean, it, it's understandable, you know, now from looking at things from from the outside to to say, well, you know, this this clearly this this particular way of of doing things or. Uh, this this particular goal, you know, say like the race to 5G, which has which seems to have taken over a lot of things lately, it can seem to be all-consuming. Um, but there really is the need for uh, 
careful balance and uh, and rationality and and the dedicated staffers of of the FCC uh, really do bring that to bear uh, every day when they come to work and it gives me gives me a lot of a lot of Having spent so much time there gives me a lot of respect uh, for them when when I go in and and talk to uh, commissioners or or staffers about the the problems that we're facing and and understanding the the multiple things that they're juggling as they try to um, to figure out what to do, uh, what's best for the country. Well, thank you, thank you, Claude. Um, that was a really good explanation of the FCC inner workings and also your explanation of WISPA. Wonderful. Well, yeah, thank you. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure to, to be here and uh, hope to have the chance to do this again. Thanks, Leslie. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.